Hi there, dear podcast listeners. It's Matt, your friendly host with a request, but but a really special request, not one that we've done in the past. Some of you may know that in 2011, Planetary Radio won the coveted Parsec Award. And as you're about to hear, these are awards that are given out for podcasts that are related to speculative fiction, science, fantasy. Anyway, they're done at the Dragon Con Awards each year in Atlanta, and uh, we won in 2011. And that was uh, much to the chagrin, I think, of some very worthy uh, nominees in our category, because they do have this one category for the facts behind the fiction. That's the one that we took. Well, we skipped this year, or last year, I should say, but uh, we've received a promo that the Parsec people are asking past winners to run. And, uh, of course, I'm doing this for only the most selfish reasons, because I'm hoping that one or two of you out there might just decide to uh, nominate Planetary Radio once again. I wouldn't mind going back to Dragon Con to uh, go up there on stage and uh, pick up uh, an award. On your behalf, of course. Anyway, here's the promo. The Parsec Awards, those strange and compelling trophies for speculative fiction podcasting, came to Earth in 2006 with powers and abilities far beyond those of normal awards. The Parsec Awards have been known to make you a better podcaster, so you can stand straighter, walk taller, and stop taking separate bubble baths in front of sunsets. So what would you pay for such an opportunity? Don't answer yet. Act now and nominate a podcast before May 27th, and you too can help a deserving podcaster turn his or her life around and win a Parsec Award. Go to ParsecAwards.com and nominate a deserving podcaster. Act now. Operators are standing by. So that's it. Thanks very much, and uh, wish us luck. Here's Planetary Radio. Star Trek goes to the real space station and saving planetary science. This week on Planetary Radio. Welcome to the travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. We've got another packed show for you today. It includes advocacy and outreach strategist Casey Dreyer of the Planetary Society. But we'll also hear cast members of Star Trek Into Darkness talking with real space trekkers. Bill Nye is off this week, but planetary evangelist Emily Lakdawalla is ready to check in via Skype. Emily, glad you could join us again before you set out for a, a busy week on the road. What should we talk about? I think you're going to be writing, uh, maybe by the time people see this, about uh, those rovers up on Mars. Yeah, I've started writing. Hopefully I'll post it on Monday. I'm talking finally about curiosity and opportunity doing what rovers should be doing, which is to say roving. Um, <laughs> curiosity in particular has been parked for more than three months, so it's delightful to finally see the odometer tick up a little bit that didn't move very far, just a couple of meters in order to get to a second drill site where they're going to try to corroborate the findings they made at their very first drill site. Still, it's, it's a relief to see the rover moving again. Now, do you accept the uh, science decision that uh, uh, kept this in one place for so long, or do I? is that uh, frustration I hear genuine? I absolutely accept that there is a scientific reason to be staying here. However, this thing is a gigantic laboratory with wheels, and they, they <laughs> ought to be using them. It's, it's interesting to chat with people who have worked on, on Mars rovers before, other Mars rovers, all three other Mars rovers, and everybody's, I think, a little bit surprised at how slow Curiosity has been moving. Now, to, to make the other side of the argument, Curiosity is by far the most complicated laboratory that has ever been sent to the surface of another planet, and it has wheels. So just operating it is 
very complicated. Uh, not everything can be used on the same day. There are a lot of trade-offs to whether they move or not, and these are very interesting rocks for them to explore. All of that being said, I'm going to be very glad when they hit the road and start heading south toward the mountain, which they hopefully will do before too very much longer. All right, let's talk about that little machine elsewhere on Mars, which has been moving along. In fact, I read uh, has set a record. Absolutely. Opportunity showing how rovers should do it. <laughs> Opportunity spent quite a while exploring Cape York, which is the part of the Rim of Endeavor crater where um, Opportunity made landfall after the many kilometers of driving across the trackless wastes of Meridiani Planum. Finally, this week actually announced that they did indeed find ancient Noachian clays, some of the oldest rocks and minerals ever observed on Mars, and um, just finished up doing some work there and has hit the road, gone, I think, by now more than 300 meters south, heading for Solander Point. Opportunity has to get there uh, before August in order to have a nice place to do some winter science while still being able to point those solar panels toward the northern sun as, as the sun heads north for their winter. So they do have a a ticking clock, unlike Curiosity, Opportunity Solar Powered, and does depend on being able to tilt toward the sun during the winter. So they got to get that rover moving, and they're doing a great job. All right, Emily, in the few seconds we have left, where exactly will you be this uh, this coming week as people hear the show? I'll be in Big Bear on Thursday morning talking about uh, how people can improve their presentations, an interesting thing to do before people give the rest of their presentations during the week. And then in the weekend, I'll be at Tucson talking at Space Fest, the fifth Space Fest, which is always a fun meeting involving lots of space artists and lots of active space researchers. So it's it's going to be enjoyable. Have a great time. And here's to uh, better and better presentations at these uh, meetings that we go to. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. She is the senior editor for the Planetary Society and our planetary evangelist and a contributing editor to Sky and Telescope magazine. That's Emily. Some pretend space travelers got to speak to the real thing last week. NASA broadcast members from the new Star Trek movie, Into Darkness, together with several astronauts. We've got a few highlights for you in case you missed the webcast, beginning with this question from Star Trek director J.J. Abrams, for former International Space Station Commander Mike Fink. Uh, I talked to uh, an astronaut once who told me that on one of his missions, he actually did see something that was very strange that he couldn't explain that actually made him believe in extraterrestrial life. And my question to you is, uh, have either of you ever seen anything that made you believe that or something that you couldn't explain, couldn't understand, that you didn't really necessarily report to the public but do you want to share with us now? Thanks. Hey, that was a great question from JJ. We get that question a lot. We all want to know are we the only ones out there. And Star Trek helps us imagine what it could be like if there were other creatures out there, other people, other species. So uh, I spent a whole year up in space, 381 days, but it was only 240 miles up. So that's not very far in, in cosmic terms. So we think uh, as we go farther out in, into the universe, we might find something out there that we don't know about. I've never seen anything. Maybe Chell will on his mission. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, as we go farther out, with the inspiration that we get from you guys making these, these great feats of imagination and excitement, the movies that you make, inspire us to be our best as human beings on planet Earth. A bit later, Chris Pine, a.k.a. Captain James T. Kirk, had this question for Chris Cassidy a current flight engineer on the ISS. Cassidy had just described how a spacewalk was needed to repair the station's ammonia leak a couple of weeks ago. Are you guys prepared for, are you trained to deal with all sorts of um, 
complications like when you're on the ground you're training or you train for that specifically or you just train to be uh, generally handy with space equipment <laughs> you laugh but that's a a very good trade i think it's it's very helpful to be uh, a garage tinker or kind of a person if you're going to come up here on the space station because that's what we do all day long is turn bolts and assemble things and fix broken equipment um, it's hard to train specifically for that kind of stuff on the ground because how do you know what's going to break? Um, which widget? You really don't. You just have to kind of have a generic uh, sense of um, of how to of how things should run and fix stuff that's broken. And we have a really um, smart ground team that sends up procedures with real nice steps uh, in pictures and and just so that you and I can do procedures like that. Um, what we do train specifically for is emergencies, but the big ones are a fire, a depressurization if some meteorite came and smacked the hole and, and we started losing air pressure, or we have the ammonia that we just talked about. If it leaked inside into the cabin, then that's a big problem too. So those are kind of our three big emergencies that we train for over and over. Uh, this is John Cho. I play Sulu, and uh, just because I cannot believe this is real, would you mind taking your hands off the microphone, putting them behind your head, and saying, look, ma, no hands? <laughs> look, John. Oh, 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 unbelievable. Unbelievable. Chris is hanging upside down in space. You can't drop the mic in space, I think is what we just learned. J.J. Abrams, Chris Pine, and John Cho, along with Into Darkness cast member Alice Eve, talking with astronauts Mike Fink and Chris Cassidy last week. We'll talk with Casey Dreyer about saving planetary science when Planetary Radio returns. Make it so. Hey, hey, Bill Nye here, CEO of the Planetary Society, speaking to you from Planet Fest 2012, the celebration of the Mars Science Laboratory rover Curiosity landing on the surface of Mars. This is taking us our next steps in following the water in the search for life to understand those two deep questions. Where did we come from and are we alone? This is the most exciting thing that people do. And together we can advocate for planetary science and, dare I say it, change the world. Hi, this is Emily Lakdawalla of the Planetary Society. We've spent the last year creating an informative, exciting, and beautiful new website. Your Place in Space is now open for business. You'll find a whole new look with lots of images, great stories, my popular blog, and new blogs from my colleagues and expert guests. And as the world becomes more social, we are too, giving you the opportunity to join in through Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and much more. It's all at planetary.org. I hope you'll check it out. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. Casey Dreyer is the Planetary Society's advocacy and outreach strategist. That's why he spends a good deal of time in Washington, D.C., helping elected officials and their staffs understand the value of planetary science. Last week, Casey was joined in the Capitol by Society CEO Bill Nye, Emily Lakdawalla, and others. I sat down with him right after he returned to Pasadena. Casey, the first thing I want to talk to you about, well, I'll welcome you back first because it hasn't been that many days since you came back from this huge trip to uh, D.C. With, with a bunch of our colleagues. I'm intrigued by this blog entry that apparently you posted while you were in the nation's capital. NASA robs planetary science. <laughs> Them's fighting words. They are fighting words because it's something to fight about. What we're talking about here, these are all repercussions and echoes of what happened for last year's budget. 
So this has nothing to do with actually why we were in D.C. this time, which was to talk about budget for next year, for 2014. 2013 budget, we had a great outcome, ultimately. Congress restored or essentially rejected the proposed cut to planetary science at NASA. Hundreds of millions of dollars more back to the program. Money for Europa mission, money for smaller missions, uh, more money for to go to Mars in 2020. It was really, we were very happy with it. Yeah. And so <laughs> then... What happens is that Congress passes this money, and they pass the law and give NASA this money. Then NASA has to do this thing called the operating plan. So they say, okay, Congress just gave us this money. Now, what's the exact way we're going to spend it? And so what happened was, and what we think is going to happen, is that NASA is going to take that money that Congress gave them for planetary science and use it for other programs, essentially dipping into the pot for planetary science to support their other priorities and to bring planetary science way back below to where they had it proposed to cut. What's the evidence, uh, the basis for these fears? Well, this thing called the operating plan, it was leaked, or we think it was leaked out to some people in the planetary science community, and they posted it online just a, a few days ago. And in that post, they say that this all but $3 million of the $220 million that came back to planetary science uh, was taken away from planetary science. So it was a really dastardly thing to do. And that's what I mean. They're, they're essentially doing a reverse Robin Hood here. Mm -hmm. They're stealing from the poor planetary science to give to other richer programs. And I should emphasize, we don't know exactly what programs this money is going to. We only have a partial leak of this information. But this is all wrapped up in things like the sequester and other issues that are driving NASA to say we, they're propping up their most high-priority programs, of which clearly planetary science is not. Apparently not. And we should also say, you know, this, what we've seen, this is not the final operating plan. This may be a draft. Yeah, uh, Congress hasn't technically seen the final operating plan as we record this. It was supposed to have come out today on Friday, the 17th? 17th of May, uh, but we haven't seen, and the actual operating plan itself is not a public document. Mm. So even when it comes out, no one's really outside the government supposed to know what's in it. So it's, there's a, a couple layers of confusion and obfuscation here that we're trying to see through. We have people in Congress who know about this. They are very upset about it, mm. and they are waiting until they get the official document. Congress can theoretically work to reject it or tell NASA that they don't like it, there's ultimately only so much they can do because there are a lot of other Congress people going back and forth with what priorities they want funded. Congress has still a chance to, to stop this, and that's kind of up to them and to NASA how much they want to work this out. And weren't there already some Congress people, and I think a senator or two, who have gone on the record and said, don't mess with this? Yeah, a few weeks ago, uh, Adam Schiff from California, Diane Feinstein from California, Barbara Boxer from California, and John Culberson of Texas all wrote a letter to Charles Bolden, the NASA administrator, saying don't do exactly what we just saw they did. <laughs> so they had, they had clearly gotten hints that this may have been coming. And despite, and this is what's really actually kind of stunning to me, hmm. despite this clear warning and this clear desire of Congress that undid these really big cuts, you know, it was a major step that Congress did this. And then also with this letter telling uh, Charles Bolden, hey, don't, don't use this money for what we didn't give you it for. But they did it anyway. I mean, that's really, I mean, it's highly unusual that this happens. And so we're in this really unique uh, situation, I think, in, at the space program where NASA does not itself seem to see the value of planetary science. And we clearly have evidence of this now. The uh, administration is not seeing the value of planetary science, but Congress 
clearly sees the value of planetary science. And they're right now our best allies in this fight to restore funding. It's fascinating, especially after we saw that wild enthusiasm, uh, which we certainly know that NASA, uh, NASA officials enjoyed and witnessed because some of them were right here with us at Planet Fest when uh, the Mars Science Laboratory touched down on Mars. I mean, they see the science. They see how exciting it is to people, the enthusiasm that it generates. And yet it's still taken, boy, even saying a backseat, it's more on the trunk than a backseat. <laughs> yeah, they toss it. That's the truly stunning thing. And that's what we keep trying to tell people at NASA is that this is the most visible and successful program that you have going on right now. People didn't gather in Times Square for uh, an earth science program or a, or a heliophysics program or uh, even for the ISS, and not to diminish any of those programs. Mm -hmm. They gathered in Times Square to see Curiosity land on Mars. The, the Curiosity lander was part of the inauguration parade, yeah. along with Orion. Those are the only two representations of NASA. And so, I mean, there's a fundamental disconnect between the public's support of planetary science and now clearly even NASA's support of planetary science. And we really hope they change their minds here in the future. Are you going to continue to write about this? Oh, yes, absolutely. Everyone who's listening can, uh, can read updates on this issue, which will have to kind of wait until the official operating plan does come to Congress. But also, uh, we've been doing a lot of work in D.C. lately to, to deal with next year's budget which, as we all know, is very similar to the proposal last year. It cuts, continues the cuts. And clearly, NASA itself is now very committed to these cuts. And mm -hmm. so it's, we have a lot going on. Uh, Bill Nye, myself, our COO, Jen Vaughn, and other staff members from the Society were all in D.C. last week. We had Bobek Ferdowsi, uh, better known as Mohawk Guy, uh, join us in D.C. as we spoke to Congress, had a special events in the Capitol building to raise awareness of this issue and this program. And it was a big week, so you'll be seeing a lot more information on it on our blogs. And where do people find that if they want to learn more? That's at uh, planetary.org slash SOS. Uh, we'll take you to all of the information and also give you background on the current issues with the budget at Planetary Science. All right, SOS, as in Save Our Science. As in Save Our Science. With just a, a minute or so left, I wanted to see if you could say something about this press release that the Planetary Society put out on the same day that your uh, blog entry came out. And that is the Planetary Society announces conditional support of NASA's asteroid mission. This is the asteroid retrieval mission that a lot of us have heard about. Yeah, this is the mission to grab a small asteroid from the asteroid belt and move it into orbit around the moon or nearby the moon. And then for later for astronauts to go out to that asteroid and, and take samples and do research and, and really use the capabilities they're building with the SLS and Orion to their full potential. That's a great concept. It's exciting. It's, I fundamentally, personally like it because instead of sitting here just watching how objects in the sky move, which is essentially what we've done since all of human history, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to take the first step into really taking control over our solar system or having an influence on it and being able to move even something small. It's still philosophically, we're moving something that's been in orbit around the sun to a different orbit based on our own desires, which is a very cool idea. I think it could look very great for astronauts to go beyond low Earth orbit, go out near the moon. You have the moon orbiting beneath you while you're hacking away at an asteroid. You know, that would be a lot of fun. However, it's conditional because when NASA announced this mission, they, they said we want $100 million this year for it to start studying it. And then next year. And we said, what was that? And they said, oh, um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. 
So NASA doesn't have any long-term cost projections for this plan, and they don't even know where the money's going to come from. And so we're concerned, and what we're, again, conditional our support is on, is that this money does not come from NASA's science programs. NASA science supports planetary science, heliophysics, astronomy, all the other robotic missions that NASA does and does so well. We want both of these to happen. We primarily uh, support planetary science here at the Society, but we want a great mission to happen for humans to go to and for really push our robotic and technological understanding and capabilities. So it's a, it's a big question. And so, again, we're, we're, NASA's going to be doing more work on this this year, so we'll really know how much it's going to cost and how they're going to do it, and we'll see whether that support continues. So we'll put up a link to this uh, press release as well for anybody who wants to uh, take a look at where the Planetary Society stands on this uh, mission, Asteroid Retrieval. It is another uh, topic that I'm sure we will continue to talk about on this program. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate but inevitable that it always comes back to dollars. (laughs) That is, when there aren't enough of them, that's always the inevitable uh, end result. And when are there enough? But um, we're not asking for the moon. Well, (laughs) no, just Mars and and places beyond that. Well, right now we're asking for a small (laughs) asteroid, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that. I I started thinking, okay, I I hadn't thought of it the way you put it a moment ago, that this is the beginning of us taking command, actually doing what needs to be done in the solar system. So today, moving a small asteroid, tomorrow deflecting a giant one, and then maybe the week after that we terraform Mars. There you go. Probably two weeks. Thank you, Casey. Happy to be here, Matt. Casey Dreyer handles advocacy for the Planetary Society, and as you heard, you can read his stuff. He's got a blog section at planetary.org, but if you want to follow what's happening and in the uh, efforts by the Society to uh, rescue planetary science, the exploration of our solar system, you can find that at planetary.org SOS. I'll be right back with Bruce Betts in this week's edition of What's Up. Here we are at Planetary Society HQ with the Director of Projects, Dr. Bruce Betts. It's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Hi. Good to be sitting across from you. Hi, and it's pretty okay to be sitting across from you too, Matt. <laughs> Wild enthusiasm Woo-hoo! takes over. Let's hear about the night sky, and then we've got other really fun stuff. How exciting. What a tease. Well, the night sky is exciting. This, uh, this coming couple weeks here... Uh, particularly within the next week, if you can get a view low in the west shortly after sunset, I strongly recommend it because it's a three-planet party, Matt, a three-planet planet party. <laughs> We've got Jupiter, Venus, and Mercury all getting really close. They're in a really tight triangle on uh, the 26th, on May 26th, but any time in the next week or two, they're, they're shifting around, so uh, early in the week, Jupiter's highest and uh, Mercury's lowest, Venus in between, but then they get all scrambly and things change. But Venus is the brightest, then Jupiter, and then Mercury's much dimmer. But you really have to look low in the west soon after sunset. It's a cosmic love triangle. <laughs> yes, and I'm, I'm sure there's some type of mythological connection as well. It's Yeah, and Saturn, Saturn not really party heavy, at least right at this point. So Saturn's up, but other side of the sky, over in the east in the early evening, east, southeast, uh, looking kind of yellowish and kind of jealous that it wasn't invited to the party. (laughs) 
All right, we move on to this week in space history. Hard to believe it, but it was indeed five years ago this week that Phoenix landed on Mars Mm. and had a very successful mission. Yeah, short but productive. And delivered. The Planetary Society provided Visions of Mars CD with a quarter million names of people and some Mars art, science, science fiction greetings all sitting there ready for astronauts to come play with it. Yep, I'm up there. Are you up there? I'm up there. I'm up there. In more ways than you can imagine. I don't even know what that means. So I hear we've got something special coming up next. Yeah, we do. We have a celebrity random space fact introduction. Excellent. Here she is. Hey, Bruce. This is Melissa Rice of the Mars Science Laboratory Curiosity Mission here at the premiere of Into Darkness, the new Star Trek movie. Yay! Here is your random space fact. Okay, and some people may remember Melissa Rice as being part of our uh, Carl Sagan Day celebration last fall. She was on the panel of Young Scientists. And so thank you, Melissa. And I'm sorry you couldn't join us, Guy. Well, if I'd gone without my kids, I would have been in trouble, and it, it just didn't work out. So awesome. we will see it shortly. I'd have covered for you. I'd, we have said you were, I'd have said you were working or something. Yeah, we had this important meeting in Hollywood <laughs> at, at the Dolby Theater. <laughs> It could happen. <laughs> awesome movie. So anyway, here I'm very pleased with this random space fact. As I've already teased to you, you don't know what it is. It, it's, it's so cool. I'm, okay, I'm done. The ratio, it's got to be good. It starts with the word ratio. The ratio of the mass of the sun to the earth. So sun mass to earth mass is about the same as the ratio of the masses of a large elephant to a small mouse. Is that really? Really. So this is masses because I know million Earths fitting in the side. Right. Inside about, the sun. So the ratio is about 333,000. Yeah. Okay. I knew it couldn't be the same as volume. Yeah. It had to be less than the volume. It's 333,000 uh, Earth masses to the sun, but that's about what you get. You can't even just do a run-of-the-mill elephant and a run-of-the-mill, uh-huh. you know, hefty mouse. <laughs> it's it's got to be a large elephant and a small mouse. Not, not a baby mouse, but a small adult mouse. That's a lot of Mises. That's a lot of Mises, and that, that's just yet another example of, hey, it's a really big difference. I love that. Do, do like, zoologists use this example in reverse? <laughs> <laughs> they will now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. I guess we move on to the trivia contest. And uh, I ask you to name... The five largest moons in our solar system. How'd we do, Matt? It picked up this week because, you know, it was one that people really weren't too intimidated by. And everybody found them. Everybody found the five biggest moons. Now, let me bounce these off you. Wait, you still haven't gotten over the sodium doublet. No, I haven't. Okay. All right, go ahead. Ganymede, Callisto, Titan, Io, and woohoo, close to home, Luna, our own moon. That is correct. That's Thank not you. the exact order, but that is correct. All I asked for was the top five. That's true. Well, Craig Hutchinson is the one who provided that particular list, the one I'm looking at. Craig of Suffolk, Virginia, who's been entering for a very long time and finally won one. Yay. Greg, uh, you get Bill Nye's uh, greeting on your answering system, and uh, we'll be in touch with you about that. Got some other cute stuff. We really ought to give something to Randy Bowdham this week because he said, well, if I could name them, they'd be... Bill, Bruce, Emily, Fred, and Matt. Oh, yeah. He totally gets a prize. Fred? With a PH? No. 
<laughs> oh, well, then I don't know. I have no idea. Kurt Lewis sent us a trivia question. He said, trivia question back at you. Name the five largest moons when expressed as a fraction of the size of the object they orbit. We'll get Kurt's voice on our answering system. <laughs> really? That's so exciting. you got a week to come up with the answer for what, that one. Is he going to... I need to know if he counts Pluto as a planet or not. I was wondering about Pluto because I figured that would have to be on the list, right? That would be number one. Center of gravity not in the planet. And then Earth's moon to to Earth. Cool. But then I get all fuzzy. Two's good. Okay, I got to do this one just because I know you'll appreciate it. The five largest moons? Yes. Bruce Cordell said, that's no moon. Thank you, Bruce. Yes, I, I actually got a lot of that. I, I tweeted recently the, uh, you know, the Death Star. Uh, the, we found out about it in '77, but in, in '79, '80, we found out that it was secretly orbiting. It was a, pretending to be a moon going around uh, uh, Saturn. Yeah, looking like Mimas, and I got a lot of that's no moon. All right, new trivia contest. Totally blown away, kid. <laughs> what? What planet has the longest solar day? So that's what we usually think of as a day, like on Earth. The average time for the sun to move from the noon position in the sky uh, back to the same position. But not to be confused with the sidereal day, which is rotation relative to the fixed stars. So what planet has the longest solar day? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest and enter our fabulous contest to win what, Matt? And by when, Matt? It's uh, Bill's Voice. Greeting everyone who calls your telephone when you don't answer. And you got to get it to us by Monday, the 27th, Monday, May 27th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Okay, we're not quite done. I have a gift for you. I'm scared. Directly from the premiere of Into Darkness. An awesome movie. You ready? Yeah. It's this popcorn box. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really cool. Here, let me give you a little sound. I'm sorry, I ate the popcorn. I was hungry. Say good Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you, everyone. Go, go out, look up in the night sky, and, and think what kind of popcorn case you would give your, I don't know. You've just your brother me. in arms. Brother in arms. You've just, you've touched me so, so much with this gift. I will treasure it for some period of time. Thank you. Well, you know, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. He's Bruce Betts, the director of projects for the Planetary Society, and he joins us every week here for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by a grant from the Kenneth T. and Eileen L. Norris Foundation and by the Trekkin members of the Planetary Society. Live long and prosper. <laughs>